Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hello and welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. We have a very special episode for you today. Actually, it will just be myself meeting with Philippa Asher, another certified Ashtanga yoga teacher. She is actually the only British woman to be certified by Sri K. Patabi Joyce. And she is right now in London, uh, or just outside of London, teaching uh, yoga. And so we are connecting on all kinds of interesting topics like ballet and the similarities between dance and Ashtanga yoga and also the differences between ballet and Ashtanga yoga. Uh, Philippa began learning and practicing Ashtanga yoga in the late 1990s, as I did. We have a lot in common. But then she began working in the media and film and music industries for several years. Um, She had a really nice job where she could go back and forth between England and uh, Mysore so that she could continue practicing and studying under Patabi Joyce and Sharat Joyce. And so she uh, eventually finished all a series, Advanced A and Advanced B, and was certified and started teaching a Mysore program uh, in 2006 in Soho's Ashtanga Tri-Yoga program in London. So we are diving into the practice, her um, thoughts and her beliefs about the practice, as well as how it's helped both her and I overcome different obstacles in our life. And I think you're just going to really enjoy this interview. It's a special one, uh, one for the ladies maybe, uh, as two women who have been practicing for over 20 years connect and talk about how the practice has affected them on many different levels through many different stages of life. So I think you're really going to love this up close and personal interview with Philippa and um, I hope that it's one of your favorites. And also just a reminder to join my inner circle. I hope that you'll come in and you can practice with me online on Fridays. If you're in the UK or Europe, it's on Friday afternoons. Um, So maybe you get a little early leave from work if you're working or you take Friday afternoon as your special time to yourself. If you are in North America, it is Friday mornings at 5 a.m. on the West Coast and 8 a.m. on the East Coast. Um, We have weekly Mysore classes as well as monthly conferences and philosophy classes where we're studying Yoga Sutra philosophy as well as you get bonus Finding Harmony podcast episodes. You'll get to hear all of the behind the scenes um, info that we go through with our guests. It's really fun, as well as some extra conversations that I've had inside of the clubhouse with other uh, authorized teachers or teachers that you probably know and love, like Greg Nardi and Scott Johnson and uh, Zena. So uh, lots of great UK energy inside the Inner Circle membership. You also get to connect with me 
through WhatsApp, through a private Facebook group. Um, there's so much good energy happening in my inner circle and I am only opening it up. Um, this will be the last time this year until uh, the end of the year in January. So I hope that you come in and end the second half of 2022 strong. Um, joining me inside the Inner Circle membership will uh, have a lot of fun and I look forward to being able to support you in your practices through pranayama, chanting, um, Mysore weekly, as well as philosophy and conferences where you get to ask all your questions and, and get some personal guidance and personal coaching. So that's all happening this month. Sign up. It's going to be awesome. It already is awesome. I just want you to join the incredible people that are already inside the Inner Circle membership. There's so many wonderful, wonderful, amazingly supportive people. We have a great community there. Everybody, um, you know, starts to know each other and we have great conversations. So um, it's open. Check out my website, harmonyslater.com. And you'll find the link there where you can find out all the information and how to join. So without uh, further ado, here is Philippa Asher. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony. And today I am joined by Philippa Asher. Hi, Philippa. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Hello, and thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> Where in the world are you right now? I'm in England, uh, uh -huh. in London. Yes. <laughs> and it sounds like that's where you grew up. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up in England. Yes. Um, so, yeah, most of my life has been here until I moved to India. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. And we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> but tell me a little bit like like what it was like growing up in England. I know we share a love for ballet and dance. We do. Yes. So, um, so I went to a vocational ballet school in Sussex from aged 12, which mm -hmm. was amazing. Um, as you know, the, the discipline of ballet um, is a, an incredible skill that we can use in the practice of yoga. Um, mm -hmm. it, yeah, <laughs> you become incredibly body aware from a very young age. I, I mean, it was lovely. Mm -hmm. I loved ballet school. It was tough. Um, mm. particularly 1980s where teaching was quite different from <laughs> how it is today um, yes. but yeah that that was amazing and uh, after ballet school I went to university in Surrey where I did mm -hmm. um, uh, my first degree in dance anthropology history and performance and then I did a postgrad in the education of adults and then mm. I worked for a couple of ballet companies in London English National Ballet and the Royal Ballet wow. Company in their education departments, which was great. And then I was in London, yeah. And I ended up working in media for music and film in Soho. So yeah, so most of my life has been, um, yeah, in the south part of England. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Did you yeah. find, um, like, I mean, the teaching style of, like you said, ballet in the 80s was <laughs> particularly grueling and maybe like a little bit, I think in the arts culture, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, like, you know, sort of like 
that that old school methodology of like trying to like break you down to make you Absolutely. stronger so you can survive like mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know oh, yeah I mean if, if you want your kids to be tough send them to boarding school <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, yeah you become uh, very very self-sufficient um, from a very young age and particularly my school being uh, being a ballet school it was very very tough um you had to be the best you ha- I mean we were weighed every week yeah yeah <laughs> it's we, intense yeah, you know you you weren't allowed to put on any weight you had to be you had to excel at everything uh, we had te- test classes every term um you know in ballet uh, mm-hmm. and if you weren't good enough you were chucked out there, there was constant pressure um so so yes you're absolutely right it, it, yeah it, it made you incredibly tough and we were very we were very obsequious I mean um we never answered back you you did as you were told you didn't question anything um yeah. and it was grueling you know you would practice and practice and practice and practice until you were absolutely perfect um yeah. <laughs> you know um doing classes for many many hours a day but you know, if that's what you know, that's what you do, isn't it? <laughs> that, yeah, that's, that, that's normal. So, so that kind of being uh, in a studio scenario, wearing lycra <laughs> for <laughs> hours a day, is 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 home for me. That that that's yeah, that's my happy place. I'm used to it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's sort of funny how it translates to yoga. I was thinking about this a lot lately, like even that discipline, like that very disciplined lifestyle where as a dancer, maybe you're not like a professional athlete, but like you're really, you know, from a young age trained to pay attention to your diet to maybe yeah. not your sleep so much, but definitely your sleep. Like you start to notice like, oh, I'm not performing well today because, and you start to have that maybe habit of self-reflection looking at like, yeah, all the different things that might be affecting why you're not feeling as good as you did the day before. Um, do you know what? I think for me, it was, you know, um, brush yourself down and carry on. Right. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that there was, there was no time for being self-absorbed or, or considering why we might not be feeling well. It was just, you know, the show has to go on. You've got to be amazing. So yeah. I think, you know, back then, uh, yeah, even if you were feeling rubbish or, or you weren't, you know, 100%, you, you just carried on because <laughs> you had yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, totally, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Do you feel like, I mean, you know, going through, we'll get to sort of your yoga journey, but like, you know, you're one of the few female certified Ashtanga yoga teachers. Do you feel like that training or that discipline, that tenacity um, or grit that, that you cultivated as like a young girl, as a ballet dancer, like was something that helped to carry you all the way through like advanced A, advanced B, like all these advanced series? Absolutely. There's no way I could be where I am now if I hadn't had that vocational ballet school training mm-hmm. and, and, and also having my uh, post-grad in, in, you know, ed- in the education of adults um, from mm-hmm. university, there's absolutely no way I could do what I, I do now. Um, I think not only does the ballet training uh, teach you 
so much about bodies and how they work. You can just look at a body and you know what it needs to do um, in order mm -hmm. to execute an asana. Um, and you can help people very, very quickly. But, but also you can just be in the studio for five or six hours with no break and you have so much stamina. Um, mm -hmm. And when you are teaching, as, as you know, teaching this practice, you're adjusting people constantly. You know, so we do our two hour practice and then we're teaching for like five hours plus with no break, running mm -hmm. around, adjusting people, going from one person to another, managing the room. You know, it's mm -hmm. not only incredibly demanding physically, but you cannot let your attention waver for one moment. Mm. So so I think the dance training gives you the, the power, the stamina and the discipline to be able to do that day after day <laughs> yeah. yeah and to yeah. still love it yeah. yeah yeah and there's it's sort of like getting into that zone where like you're not really like you know maybe it's like a flow state even where you're just like not even hungry or like yeah. even like the calls of nature aren't really bothering you it's, it's almost yeah. like a meditation practice I think like what you're talking about that teaching sort of for those long hours just like moving between people and watching and managing the room and you know analyzing bodies like it's really happening on a different level of consciousness almost it just feels very, very natural. And I, and I mm. think, you know, if you've been a dancer and you've been, you know, dancing since you're three years old, it's just second nature. It just feels mm -hmm. totally natural and normal. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's just, it's just very, very natural, very normal. And, and, you know, wearing Lycra and being in a studio is just, yeah, where I like to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it always struck me as kind of funny, you know, um, people always think that being a dancer, like helps the physical yoga practice. And I mean, maybe a little bit, like you were saying with the body awareness and, and like understanding how to move your body in in very specific ways and ranges of motion and things. But for me, I always felt like it was that discipline and that like strong mind aspect where that was cultivated from such a young age, like coming yes. up to adversity again and again and again, and just like figuring out how to like get through that. Yes, ab absolutely. And, and I think, you know, in terms of conquering a complicated new arsena, we don't have that, that fear. You know, it, it's very easy to make heaps of excuses. Oh, I can't do this because, you know, I've got the wrong colored nail varnish on or whatever. You know, for, for, for mm -hmm. if you've had that, that dance discipline, you will keep trying and trying and trying slightly in a slightly different way until you have made the impossible become possible because that's the training. You yeah. simply don't give up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know about you, but certainly for me, I, I found that... Um, obviously the discipline was incredible but and the flexibility was great but being a ballet dancer I had I didn't have a very strong upper body so um, I can mm -hmm. remember in, in my first class god it was so hard <laughs> so yeah. I think I think for, for me I mean obviously I've got incredibly strong legs because ballet dancers do Mm -hmm. and a strong back because ballet dancers do but it took me years and years and years and years to build the upper body and the arm strength so yeah. so attaining the balance was the hard thing and I think possibly 
it, you're at a disadvantage if you go into the asana practice having more of one thing than another. Maybe it's easier if you're equally weak and inflexible so you can, you know, develop them simultaneously and have balance throughout the practice. I don't know, but I've, I've often wondered that. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I remember that, too. I remember actually the first time that I really like dove into Ashtanga yoga and like trying to do a daily practice. Um, my wrist got so sore. I got such bad tinnitus that I couldn't even, I, I had to stop. I had to take a rest because I, it was like to the point where I couldn't pick things up anymore. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which well, you know like, what happened to me. I'm yeah. sure we'll get to that later, but <laughs> yeah, but let's talk about it now. Cause I, I like what, what happened to you always made me think about that because it was just like, it was so painful. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, I learned the primary and the intermediate series very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and it was when I was learning the advanced A series arm balances. Yeah. Um, one of the tendons snapped. <laughs> yeah. um, it's the tendon that works the thumb. It snapped in my left hand. Um, wow. Yeah. And so I basically had to have a tendon graft. And then yeah. two years later, it, it went on the other side. So you probably remembered me when I was in Mysore and it happened on the other side. Right. And uh, I, I had to have a tendon graft locally in Gokulam. Yes, yes, I was thinking <laughs> um, Yeah, yeah. So I was practicing the next day like an idiot in a, in a, in a flimsy um bandage so when when it snapped in London I think mm -hmm. that the surgeon sussed me out and he put me in a really heavy do you remember those old-fashioned plaster casts we used to get back in the day um, right. and they, they, they were heavy plaster Paris and yes. you used to kind of like people used to write on them it was one of those yeah. um and, I, and he didn't take it off for two months because I think wow. he knew I would just be an idiot and ruin it <laughs> <laughs> but but when I had when I had the the uh, same operation done in India I was in a flimsy bandage so like a fool I was in class the next day swinging around obviously I couldn't I couldn't put my palm on the floor because I'd you know snap my tendon but I was swinging around on my fist and oh. I burst I bust the stitches basically and I had to go back to the surgeon oh. with my you know tail between my legs to show him my bloody plaster <laughs> my oh band my and uh, yeah he sewed me up with no anesthetic to teach me a lesson oh my goodness yeah <laughs> yeah oh to be young and foolish but you know I was in my 30s you know but, but it's <laughs> extraordinary when you're when you're that age you think you're invincible and I think that when you've been practicing for 20 plus years you have a bit yeah. more wisdom don't you yeah. And you you listen to your body and you and you know and when you break a tendon you let it heal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But but yeah. yes. It, <laughs> but 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 yes, yeah, so that was interesting. So basically what that why that happened was I was mm -hmm. doing um too much weight bearing on a non-weight bearing joint before I had the muscles to support myself. Yeah. So, um, so the, so the surgeon in London explained it to me. He said that my wrist had grown an extra layer, um, of, of bone to kind of make it 
stronger but that was jagged and the tendon which glides over the top of it was basically being sawed through until it snapped but yeah so I learned quite a lot (laughs) from from that incident so so yeah so then I I uh, realized that I had to get incredibly strong and and I realized the importance of resting between those arm balances Uh, and I remember it was kind of trendy in those days to to not rest between the arm balances you had to muscle through um and and I just realized now that was just dreadful advice yeah Um, yeah you know (laughs) ladies aren't built like men we're totally different you know guys have got these broad shoulders and long backs and tiny waists and little hips uh but but women are you know we're different right (laughs) yeah totally we have to like heave our center of gravity up off the floor we do we do because yeah we have ladies hips and we have narrower shoulders um so in order to execute an arm balance we need to do it in in a different way so um so I think you know it's certainly quite helpful to have female teachers like you and me around who's figured out how to do it (laughs) without snapping your tendons (laughs) <laughs> totally right <laughs> yeah those those arm balances are so grueling and yeah, I remember yeah. like always like especially learning them too because like you say you haven't developed the muscle strength yet so it can be a lot of um, weight on that wrist joint which is not like a super strong joint especially if you're a have like petite wrists right yeah absolutely yeah 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 so I always like <laughs> would stretch them out the opposite way and like just yes. give them a break in between well exactly well you think about it throughout the practice we're doing one asana and then we do the counter pose don't we Exactly. But not, not for the wrists, not until yeah. you get to Urdhva Padmasana do we get the opportunity to flip the hand the opposite way. But that's right at the end of the practice. So like yeah. you just said, you've got to factor it in, haven't you? You've yeah. got to stretch your wrists out the other way. So, um, yeah, they're getting a little release. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's so important to like also like listen, listen to your body and allow the healing to happen too. And I think when you're young, you know, you, we, there's more urgency in a sense for you and you also have more energy. So maybe you don't listen enough to what, yeah. what you really need. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And, and that's another interesting thing about the practice, because when you're young and you have that energy, you know, the asanas are less complicated, but then you get older and older and older as the postures get harder and harder and harder. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that, that's, that's a real, uh, that's a real laugh, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like a little adding a layer of difficulty to yeah. it all. There's no opportunity for complacency ever. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. So tell it, tell me a little bit about how you um, transitioned from ballet into yoga and like this spiritual journey you've been on. Right. So when I was three, mm-hmm. my mother had a book this was in the 1970s. It was called Yoga for Health by okay. a guy called Richard Hittleman. Mm. And this book uh, on the front cover had uh, pictures of ladies with lovely flowing locks in these brightly colored you know, leotards doing these amazing shapes. And inside this book were lots of shapes 
Um, and at the end of the book, there's a picture of Padmasana. So I can remember as a tiny child, age three, going to this book every day and copying the shapes in the book and then sitting in Padmasana with my eyes closed, sitting quietly. I had no idea at that point it was yoga. It was something I used to do as a little child because I liked it. Um, and when I got to university um, in Freshers Week, there was a book sale in the Students' Union and I chanced upon a book called Light on Yoga by B.K.S. Iyengar. Mm -hmm. Ever heard of him? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it just blew my mind because being a trained dancer um, and being a movement junkie, I just was obsessed by these extraordinary ways of moving the body you know it wasn't just on your feet it was upside down and all kinds of crazy things um so I was obsessed and I, I joined the uh, the yoga club at uni um so I started sort of doing a hatha yoga practice there which was fun um mm -hmm. and then when I was working in media uh in London mm -hmm. um I ended up going to a random yoga class in Brixton in the 90s. Um, and I guess it must have been an Ashtanga class because it blew my mind, absolutely blew my mind. One class, um, it was the sequencing, it felt like dancing, and it gave me this incredible sense of euphoria. You know, that high you get from performing on stage Yeah, uh, when you're a dancer. I got that high from from mm. doing the practice and and I just couldn't believe you know what what this thing was um so that was it in that moment <laughs> my life changed oh, amazing <laughs> so so it was completely random and I think that's probably the same for so many people I think that the Ashtanga practice finds you <laughs> mm -hmm. totally <laughs> and then totally. it gets you and that's it <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's amazing. And so where did it go? Where did it go from there? That was okay. your sort of first experience. How did yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. What so, happened? So my my degree at university was dance anthropology, history and performance. So I needed to go to the source pretty early on to find mm -hmm. out, you know, I needed to find right. out. Guru. So as soon as I could, as soon as I had learned enough, I started going to Mysore. Um, which was at the end of the 90s, um, which was absolutely incredible. Because back then, as you know, there weren't that many students. So we had three teachers. We had Patabi Joyce, Sharat <laughs> and Saraswati in yeah. the Shala teaching, you know, a few of us. So mm -hmm. we just learned so much. And do you remember back then we could stay for months and months and months on end? We didn't have to leave. <laughs> Yeah, I know. So, that was incredible, right? Yes. And everyone there was there without agenda. They were there to learn the practice from the guru to be at the source, which yeah. was so rich and exciting. So it felt like being at university. So mm -hmm. so that was amazing. And I just, you know, kept going back for the next 20 years for like six yeah. months or more at a time, which yeah. was amazing. So, so that was it really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. So like in your early days, um, would you go back between 
the UK and India and teach a little bit in the UK and then go and study in India or were you traveling? Uh, what was going so, on? So I was working in media at the time. I had the most amazing boss. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and rather than giving a promotion every year, I would say, yeah, but can I have a sabbatical, please? I need to go back to India to go and study for a bit. So, so that's wow. how I managed to like that. So, yeah. So I was working in media in Soho for mm -hmm. like, you know, half the year or a bit more than that and then I would um, go to India to study in Mysore for the rest so I managed to kind of wing that for, for many 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 years uh, oh, until, until Patabi Joyce said you know it's time you started sharing the practice <laughs> otherwise mm -hmm. I think I'd still be doing my my fabulous job that I was doing then um, <laughs> but <laughs> I had no intention of teaching uh, Ashtanga. I, I only started doing it because Patabi Joyce said, you know, you share. Right. Um, yeah. Um, and obviously I love what I do. I, I can't imagine doing anything else now. But yeah, um, but, but it sounds I, like you I, had a pretty cushy situation happening. <laughs> oh, it was great. I absolutely loved it. You know, you know, working working in London in the 90s and early noughties in, in media and music and film was, yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think our mutual friend, Nick Evans was in that same industry. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. My, my dear Welsh friend, Nick. Yes. yes. <laughs> you had your own little posse going yeah, on. That, that, yes. Yeah, that's right. We did. <laughs> yeah. What was that first trip to Mysore like? Um, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was really amazing. I think it was, um, it was December, so so the first Christmas I had in India was weird. I have to admit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> was it, it just weird, or had you been to like India before? Was it? I've been to India before, but never at Christmas. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, never at Christmas. Um, so, so that was unusual. But but you know, I think. If you, I mean, ha having a, a, an experience in a different country of something that's quite special to you is it, always going to be a bit strange. But, but you know, my first my first trip to Mysore was lovely. I mean, Patabi Joyce, I felt was incredible. He was steady and consistent all the time, and he lived to teach the practice, to share it, and and I loved that. Um, and, and you know, Sharat and, and Saraswati too. Um, I just I felt so honored and grateful to be there and, and I loved all the people that went there you know everyone you met was a bit older they'd lived a bit they they were interesting um yeah I absolutely loved those early days yeah yeah how old were you when you first went to Mysore oh gosh now you're trying to uh, how old <laughs> I think I was about 28 or 29 yeah <laughs> Mm. Yeah. And it, I, I feel like it is true. Um, I'm, I remember I turned 25 on my first trip in Mysore and, and I was like super young compared yeah. to most of the people who were there. <laughs> exactly. Like we were babies. I mean, like, yeah. I, I mean, I know I was considered to be incredibly young when I went, yeah. um, which was kind of weird. I'm not young, I'm 28. <laughs> yeah. but, but, then, but then you were kind of like meeting these, these people who've been practicing with Patabi Joyce, you know, for years and which was yeah. so exciting to hear their stories and stuff and you know it was great and I think it was fun being young back then um. yeah 
and I mean, I, you touch upon such a, such an important thing. I, especially, I feel like in the early days, it is probably the same, same now. Um, but just like that, that Sangha, that community connection. I learned so much from these senior teachers who were there yes. and yes. practicing, you know, as much as I was learning in the room, in my own like self-development and practice, I was learning like so much as of like theory and history and philosophy outside of the room from yes. teachers who had yes. more experience than I did. Absolutely. Uh, and one of the things I've always felt about going to Mysore is that you learn about the stuff that you can't see. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you learn about patience. Yeah, <laughs> big time. <laughs> and, uh, and you learn about shattering your ego. Uh, you know, you, you learn about really, really important parts of the yoga journey, which aren't asana, which I think is invaluable. Um, that's one of the really profound things that I learned very early on. Um, which was great. Yeah. And it's so interesting because it happens in like a really subtle way. I find, you know, whereas like when you're in like back to that ballet training, it's happening in a pretty obvious way. You're like, wow, this person's really trying to like destroy my ego so that I (laughs) like come back. So I bounce back. Right. Like it's so obvious, but in India, it's so subtle. Like you're just like irritated or you're just like yeah feeling all these different things coming up and it's almost like like this subtle arising of stuff and then all yeah. of a sudden you see it and you're like whoa yeah <laughs> and I think the other really fascinating thing is that um education the way I've experienced it it's in India is very different from how I have experienced it in the west mm-hmm. um both through ballet school and university um so i i think the 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 way um the teachers work in india is incredibly different uh, and that certainly takes some getting used to <laughs> yeah it's true i remember people like come and they'd want like a program and, and a yeah. syllabus and like <laughs> and then it's just like what we just show up and practice and then the rest yeah. of the day is sort of mysterious <laughs> Uh, yes, 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 yeah. So, but but I think it's a great honor and it's a privilege to um, be in a different culture for a long period of time, and and to learn about that culture and to learn about different ways of doing things. And for me, that was an incredibly rich experience as well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you learn so much from even just the local people in the community there. I remember learning so much about Indian culture and like the struggle of like women in the Indian culture from the women who were living in the Indian culture. It's, it's just so, so incredible to have that, like develop those relationships with the local people too. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. And that's so very kind of them as well. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And it also opens up your eyes because I think the first, you know, my first trip there was just like, oh, it's so amazing. And it's like going back in time. And this is such an incredible place. And it had this real sort of magic sparkle on it, you know. But then after going so many times and getting more integrated into the community and developing local friends and connections and and building those those systems of trust you know you're exposed to other aspects of the culture that you normally wouldn't have been and it's it is an honor but you also realize like oh problems exist everywhere (laughs) Uh, they certainly do yeah and I've always felt that India is the polar opposite of here 
you know, yeah. uh, you, you cannot make sense of India. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you have to expect the unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you have to roll with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nothing is as it seems <laughs> right yeah but there's something like really kind of attractive maybe or um alluring about that when you come from a society or a culture that's very logical and very um you know like when you leave point a you're for sure going to get to point b in this amount of time like you have google maps and you know everything's like really systematized and then you step into this world where like you say there's this element of unexpectedness and mystery and you and it's not dependable you can't just say oh i'm gonna leave here and arrive here at this time and sort of like (laughs) maybe that's gonna happen there might be a bullet cart in front of you (laughs) (laughs) right But I, I think, you know, uh, what, what, when you go to India as, you know, a tourist or you're just going to Mysore to practice for three months a year or whatever, it's one thing and it's manageable. But it, it's quite something else when you actually live there full time and you're running a business or building a yoga yeah. retreat and you're having to deal with the day to day. Then it becomes a whole different thing um, yeah. because, you know, we're we're used to everything happening, you know, when we snap our fingers, over, you know, in, in our countries. Yeah. And, and I wrote on my um, on my website, actually, um, in my musings and fun section, a piece called The Way of the Drill, which was about building our yoga retreat in India and mm-hmm. just a catalogue of hilarious well hilarious after the fact um (laughs) events that that you do not expect when you're building a yoga retreat you know and (laughs) you can laugh about it once it's done but going through it it's just you know like one incident um I was having the shala built and Mm -hmm. I made it really really clear to the mason that the shala floor has to be level (laughs) right right <laughs> yeah uh, so went off for a few hours came back and then it's like Ramesh it's sloping and he said yes madam for drainage I'm thinking right. what drainage in my yoga <laughs> so it was like every day there's like a new thing and all. <laughs> but you have to surrender and, and smile and laugh and <laughs> oh I know yeah and it's so it's just so uh, it's so interesting I, I have a similar situation where we had moved into this new apartment and again it was like just sort of in the time when people were like getting those little Nokia cell phones like before that it was oh, yeah. so difficult you know you'd have to call the landlord like at the payphone, and then he would say <laughs> oh yes yes madam uh you know, the guy who's fixing the shower coming today. And then you yes. just sit around all day waiting for the guy to show up and maybe he shows up, maybe he doesn't. And maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's got to go to <laughs> temple. Yeah, I know. Right? And then like the next day you go back to the payphone and call the, he didn't show up. Can he come today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at this time we had someone coming to fix like the water purifier or something and uh-huh. we're installing a new thing. And so he comes in and he does the installation and and then just leaves like a complete mess of <laughs> of like wall parts and like like just like a complete disaster like a construction site mess <laughs> like in the middle of the kitchen and like yep. he's like okay hey, bye and we're like um are you cleaning this or no but no that's not his job his job mm. was only to do the water filter someone exactly. else's job is to come and clean it up 
Yeah, I know. I know. So I think, you know, one, one of the amazing things is you learn how to surrender. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right. You have to. Yeah. <laughs> like not lose your mind. Right. And, yes. so it's, and it's kind of beautiful in that way. You're like, okay, this is, this is how it's going to go. Yeah. I, I think, I think you certainly I learn how... or I can surrender. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think you learn quite quickly to see the funny side in things, don't you? Yes. Yeah. You need a sense of humor for yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah. No, totally. Um, along those lines, is there any like, memorable sort of travel experiences or teachers or workshops that you really feel like deepened your practice, like within India or outside of India? Hmm. Um, I spent a month studying with Richard and Mary in Boulder in Colorado, oh, Nice. which was, yeah. oh my God, it was incredible. Those two, they are I yoga, know. aren't they? They're so they wise, are. knowledgeable, yeah. understated funny mm -hmm. humble and they know so mm -hmm. much so that was that was amazing for me and I think that was one of the happiest months of my life ever uh, mm. meeting those two um yeah. obviously spending so many years learning from Patabi Joyce and Sharat when there weren't many people there in the Shala was yeah. incredible because yeah. we had heaps of attention and time so yes. we were privileged to learn so much from them mm -hmm. um before I was certified, um, I went on heaps of retreats and workshops all over the world with various teachers with, who, who, with whom I respected. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot about what makes a good teacher, actually, <laughs> yeah. as well as, as, well as um, about the asana practice and the eight limbs and philosophy and yeah. stuff. But the most interesting thing, I think, mm -hmm. is that when I worked in media, I used to go to this class on Saturday mornings with uh, someone who's now a mate called uh, Robin Cato. And okay. he really inspired me because he was really normal. <laughs> he was totally himself in class. No mm -hmm. airs and graces, spoke in his normal voice, uh, in his normal vernacular. And I thought, oh, my God, this is so amazing. You don't have to be, you know, all marshmallowy to be a yoga teacher and um it was so refreshing you know yeah. after encounter after encountering so many teachers who took themselves ridiculously seriously and yeah. basically pretended to be something that they're not so yeah. that was that was just like a light bulb going on for me meeting him mm. um and he's actually had a massive influence on the way i teach so oh, nice. yeah a, a mixed bag of influences i i would say <laughs> yeah. yeah i always you know we often, I think in our, our little Ashtanga yoga bubble, people are always like, take one teacher and only study with that one teacher. And, and I know there's like some value to that for sure. But I think especially as a teacher who's interested, like if you have an interest in teaching, it's like, go take as many different teachers classes as you can, because it, yeah, you learn, you learn so much about teaching and like what works, what doesn't work for you, yes. what you like, what you don't like. It's so like, it's the best education, I think. And also in order to find out the right teacher for you. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so important, I think, to like, like make that heart connection with who you're learning from. Yes, but you know, uh, Patabi Joyce and Sharat will always be my teachers, always, always. Yeah. But it, it's, it's fun meeting different uh, people along the way. 
Um, because it's part of the journey, isn't it? Yeah. And there's a difference in the way that like as Westerners and teachers, you know, from the West teach compared to the way that we were taught, I think in Mysore, India. I mean, if there Mm. isn't a difference, you might (laughs) maybe want to look at that a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) You're a diplomat. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yes. Well, well, that that goes back to the point I was making earlier about that. The the ways of teaching are quite different, aren't they? (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. And also like touching upon like being your authentic self, right? Not trying to like just take a system and mimic it and like, or mimic a teacher or, you know, like, like, but be yourself in that, in that presentation. And isn't that what the practice is all about being your true self? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. The unlayering, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And speaking of unlayering, um, is there something like within your practice journey that you felt like really shifted, you know, it was like a pivotal point for you that shifted either the way you were practicing or the way you were teaching, um, you know, because I, you've been teaching for so long and practicing mm. for so long and like so many series, so many asana series. And I feel like the, the way that you practice in a sense to like push yourself through, and I'm going to use that word, push yourself through mm-hmm. all no, of those. Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> series, like, like third series, fourth series, like yeah. it's, it's, it's very intense. It's very hardcore. And like, you have to streamline so many things in your life to make that happen. You know, are you still practicing the same way? Are you teaching the same way? What sort of, how has it evolved for you? Okay. So, um, to answer the first bit of your question, mm-hmm. um, has anything made you look at the way you were practicing? Um, yeah. Yes, absolutely. So obviously, after having two tendon grafts, one in each hand, yeah. I I had to look to Mr. Ryenga for alignment. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I think as serious Ashtanga Asana practitioners, we need to look for look to Patabi Joyce for the exquisite choreography and the um elegance of the sequencing uh, and the order and the vinyasa counts um mm. it's so elegant and it's absolutely brilliant and we have to look to mr Ayenga for the alignment we have to marry those two things together um you cannot uh work through the later series if you haven't got excellent alignment so i learned that lesson very early on <laughs> so um yeah yeah. so after having my tendon grafts it really made me focus on having perfect alignment stretching Mm -hmm. out the wrists as you said the opposite way after arm balances that kind of thing it made me understand the importance of being balanced in gaining equal levels of strength and flexibility and it made me learn um, how vital it is to learn the practice slowly and methodically mm-hmm. with perfect Tristana, correct vinyasa, learning the exact Sanskrit counts, inhaling when you're meant to be inhaling, exhaling when you're meant to be exhaling, not adding in extraneous movements that aren't there. You have to stick to the method and then it works with the good alignment. Um, so that was massive for me. So in my teaching, not only am I teaching, you know, you know, the, the 
correct or the specific sequencing with you know correct tristana and all of that mm -hmm. kind of stuff alignment has to be there as well and i um expect my students to have mastered one posture with you know correct tristan her tristan and alignment breathing all that kind of stuff before they learn the next because mm -hmm. there's no point making bashing out a load of shapes and trying to get to the finish line if there's no yoga happening you know yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's just a futile exercise um so yeah uh that has really really shaped the way i practice and teach and i still do all of the asanas that i have learned from my teachers but i practice really slowly mm. you may not know this i don't know if i ever told you this but when i was in mysore and mm -hmm. i was learning the advanced b series i was having to do all of advanced a and then about two-thirds of advanced b before i was split right <laughs> yeah. old old school style <laughs> old school but you know we learned old school we um, did, yeah. yeah so so i so my practice was taking over three hours and I'm going to say this, <laughs> I can't believe mm -hmm. I'm saying it publicly. I didn't have a ladies day in over three years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously that isn't good. Right. Um, it's not super healthy for. <laughs> but, but you know what? I think women need to speak more about this. I think yeah. we need to talk more about this stuff because a male teacher isn't going to say to you, have you had, are you still are you still having a ladies days right. are they and, and and of course you know my teacher is indian and it's not in his culture to kind of ask those mm -hmm. you know those kind of questions and it was my own stupid fault for not saying hey did you know this is what's happening to me um yeah. so but the interesting thing is after i was split they came back about two two or three months later so it's obviously connected to the intensity of the practice. I was doing way too much, basically. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that is fascinating. So with the women in class, especially if they've got to go to work and do stuff, mm -hmm. uh, I'm very mindful about how long their practice takes. Yeah. yeah um, I think that's and, so important. And I encourage women with a very intense long practice to only practice five days a week. I think six mm -hmm. days with an intense practice is too much. Mm -hmm. It certainly yeah. was for me. Yeah. The other thing, which I think is more to do with being a ballet dancer, is that I have osteoarthritis mm -hmm. in a few of my joints, big toe joints, yeah. obviously from point work. Yeah. Uh, in my neck from, you know, years and years and years of doing Gandhabar and Dasana, putting my feet on the floor and my hands underneath my chin. So, mm -hmm. um, now I'm older and wiser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have learned to practice incredibly slowly and I try to make as much space as possible in the body, the mind and the breath. Mm -hmm. um, and I think essentially that's what we're meant to be doing anyway, isn't it? Expanding the breath and keeping the mind and the body um, still. Uh, yeah. and steady and and keeping the breath steady and strong and keeping ourselves healthy um so you know when patabi joyce says you know slowly slowly all is coming i mm. think that's what it is if you want to speed up the process of attaining the state of yoga slow down <laughs> mm, i love that i love it so good <laughs>
I'm just going to repeat it because it it bears (laughs) worth repeating. If you want to speed up the process of yoga, slow down. Yeah. So good. It's so true. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. It reminds me also of the yoga sutras, you know, when they say, um, uh, that uh, Ishwara Pranidhana Samadhi or something about, you know, if you want Samadhi to come quickly, like Samadhi comes quickly for those who practice Ishwara Pranidhana. Yeah. And so it's yeah. like that, that idea of surrender. Gotta have faith. Yeah. <laughs> As George exactly. Michael said. Yeah. 100%, right? Yeah. You gotta have faith. You gotta trust and surrender. Yeah. And then the mind will become balanced. Yes. Absolutely. And I really believe it. You know, I I totally believe in the practice. I really, really do. And you just got to trust and let go and don't rush because it's all there Mm -hmm. if you allow it to to happen when the time is right. Yeah, it has to be the right time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. And along those same lines, though, I mean, we see we see it so often, like sometimes the practice doesn't cultivate that sort of um, openness and awareness and and presence for people. You know, sometimes it sort of feels like it's really like pushing and coming from an ego place or it's, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you, what would be some advice you would give people to like, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if this, if it's coming from an ego place, if you realize it or not, but, but like, how do you move into that place of like more faith, more surrender, more, allowing you know how do you slow down when it feels like you know a lot of people say it feels like I've I should have started sooner I've lost so much time or I'm never gonna get this right like there's a real sort of sense of um urgency Mm -hmm. how do you how do you encourage people to slow down Uh, well you've got to start somewhere and I think the access point for so many people with yoga is asana isn't it because you know (laughs) to to be able to get to a state of yoga by just sitting and meditating is incredibly hard so Mm -hmm. I think a a lot of people aren't in their bodies you know we were dancers Mm -hmm. we were lucky we came to this Mm -hmm. practice having a connection to our bodies and a lot of people don't so Mm -hmm. I think that if you're not connected to your body um you're using sort of ego to try to force it to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think once you become connected to the mind and the body and the breath, then the practice starts to make sense. Um, mm-hmm. And once you understand the concept of Tristana, the perfect synchronization of the breath, the gaze point and the movement, and you become you um, develop that state of stillness in a posture, you do surrender. But until you get to that point of stillness, um, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be doing yoga. And I think it's only when you start to feel it, because it is an experiential practice, um, Mm -hmm. that you you start to get it. And you know what? One of my students started when she was 65. Yeah, amazing. She she is amazing. And (laughs) she's 77 now incredible I love it and and I I adore this woman she's a real character and she she's got so much one-pointed focus and determination and Mm. she will keep practicing an asana until it reveals itself and it just blows Mm. my mind because there's no ego there it's just determination and and trust and and joy Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. I love that you bring joy into the equation I feel it's so vital 
it has to be joyful yeah yeah um so it's about that surrender and as soon as you surrender the yoga can happen but Mm. if you're there with brute force um then yeah it's gonna be a slightly longer journey (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah we don't know how long it'll take right (laughs) (laughs) so nice so great to just glean your wisdom (laughs) Do you think people can get there on their own? Can they like do self-practice and have all these sort of revelations and uncover all these things within themselves? Or is it helpful to have a teacher? Um, it's, I, I think it is helpful to have a teacher. Um, mm-hmm. um, well, because, you know, you, you can't teach yourself, can you? Unless you're an expert. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess we're like living in such a, such a strange place these days with like so many online resources. And like when you and I were learning the practice, we didn't really have that. You know, we had to, if you wanted to look at a yoga video, you had to like go buy a VHS and like Mm. put it in your machine or something. Right. Yeah. So we had like some books, but it's kind of different learning from a book compared to like throwing on YouTube or like some kind of online membership or something where you can just sort of like watch and observe and never really cultivate that relationship with a teacher. And I think, I mean, for me, that's always the, the sort of sacred space, right. Is in that relationship that the yoga happens rather than just like following along with a screen and someone who can't talk back to you. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the teacher is 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 vital, absolutely vital, um, because yeah, you you can't teach yourself something if you don't know about it, do you? Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that the more you know, the more you realise you don't know. Um, mm-hmm. And it took me sixteen years, mm-hmm. sixteen years to start to begin to understand what yoga is. Mm. it wasn't until I had completed the advanced B series Mm -hmm. that I suddenly realized that it's all about Tristana and good alignment it doesn't matter what posture you're doing it doesn't matter what series you're doing it's all about being in the state of yoga so Mm -hmm. do you remember there was one conference when Patabi Joyce said to us you can reach samadhi from just going up to Navasana. You can attain mm. a higher state of conscious awareness, stillness of mind. You can, you can attain a state of yoga by just doing the half primary series. And I never understood what that meant until mm. I had finished advanced B. And, and I just thought it was, you know, the system is so elegant. It's brilliant because for some people, obviously me, <laughs> you have to kind of go through this really, really, really difficult practice to, mm-hmm. to understand it's all about keeping your mind still and steady and focused. Mm-hmm. And there comes a point where you have equal levels of strength and flexibility and you do have a very, very strong mind and you're incredibly disciplined and you're incredibly focused. But until you get to that point, there's always this element of complacency. So the postures get harder and harder and harder. So you can never be complacent. Right. Yeah, it's true. Um, and you do need a teacher, uh, you know, on a practical level to, to, 
to teach you about all of this stuff, you know, the concepts of the method, how the method works. You need a, a teacher to share with you the precise Sanskrit vinyasa, the, the mantra, that you need a teacher to teach you about alignments and all these things um, to, to answer any questions that you have about the practice because students have many, many questions. And I think, you know, it's, it's a great privilege to kind of share with them uh, and try and help them along the way. Um, but I do feel, as a teacher, it's very important to be an equal. Mm. I hate the idea of hierarchy. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the first things that uh, we were taught when I was doing my postgraduate um, in the education of adults is that students are VIPs and mm. you should be very honored that they've made the effort to um, come into your class or your workshop or your seminar or whatever um, mm -hmm. and they should be deeply respected and as a facilitator all you're doing is imparting a bit of knowledge um, mm -hmm. so I, I, for me that's how a teacher should be and I think it's very important to be connected to the student so they feel that they are on the same level as you and they can ask questions and stuff because in order to enrich the learning experience I think there's the the, the learner needs to be able to ask whatever they like and mm. to not feel uncomfortable and I think that is really really important um, so I do think um, the role of the teacher is absolutely vital but the teacher has to be excellent and the teacher has to know how to teach and the teacher has to know about you know uh, psychology and how to manage people's emotions and stuff and to have a whole range of skills to impart this knowledge because mm -hmm. everyone is different and we all have different styles of of learning so um you can't get that from youtube <laughs> yeah it's true <laughs> or a book yeah 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 and i love that i think you know it has me kind of even thinking about like the way that patabi joys was taught when you talked about like you know having some psychology around like mm. i think sometimes teachers um in you know in the modern day can try and like they, they show up in different, different roles, right? Like sometimes they're maybe like a persecutor for the student or trying to save the student, or, you know, we become kind of enmeshed and a little bit codependent with our students at times. And I think it's really, really important for teachers to, like you yeah. say, hold that space yeah. for themselves yeah. and hold that space for their students so that they're really seeing their student, like, you know, as creative, resourceful and whole. And like, they are like, on the same level as Absolutely. that, right? Yeah, I, I, and I think I think the role of the teacher is simply just to impart knowledge, and it is not to be, um, you know, any of the things that you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or like, and like and the I'm, one I'm who go, knows, right? Yeah, like, oh, it, well, let me tell you, you know, how yeah, to well, live your life, kind of. <laughs> and and I I think that that that's dangerous territory because yeah. you know I don't think you should put teachers on a pedestal because mm -hmm. you know I consider myself to be incredibly ordinary and normal and and I try to be like you know this guy I told you about Robin who blew my mm -hmm. mind because he was completely normal uh, and the same as everybody else in class and I thought I want to be like that and that's how I try to be and I think that my students like that because I'm normal in class and I don't get enmeshed in people's drama I just simply won't go there it's yeah. not my place you can't be a, a you know a shrink you can't be no. you know a prefect no. and I think it's a really health an unhealthy environment if you start you know having dogma mm -hmm. 
Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting. Cause I'm, I'm curious, like if this is a particularly feminine kind of approach or like, if this is coming from, you know, I mean, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, but, <laughs> but just like the idea, I think women are a lot more like socially, um, tuned in in a sense than men at times and I feel <laughs> like sorry to all the male listeners <laughs> but, but that like you know our our societal structures are always like putting men above like this group and and often it shows up like a group of women right or yeah. like there's the one lead man he's the captain and then there's mm. like a team of underlings and like mm. all these social structures are very um I guess, patriarchal in a sense, mm -hmm. right? Where it's like, okay, there's one guy at the top, the CEO, and then there's all these underlings, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I feel like it's, maybe it's, maybe it's not feminine. Maybe it's just like more modern or um, maybe it's just like tearing down those structures of hierarchy where it's more realizing that everybody has something to share and that you can learn something from everyone and that we're coming together to share in the ways where we're experts or we mm -hmm. excel, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, and I think, you know, in, in the Ishtanga world as well, I mean, there aren't that many female certified teachers, are there? And, no. uh, and you know, when, when we were learning at the end of the 90s and early noughties and stuff, there, there weren't that many female teachers around so yeah, even less uh, than now for sure yeah right <laughs> <laughs> um so uh, it, it's quite interesting um I, when I was I used to run a, a, an Ashtanga program in Soho before I moved to India and uh, it was interesting because my classes were 50 50 men and women which mm -hmm. I thought was fantastic but that could have been because it was Soho and there are lots of guys that worked in media and music uh, around there. Um, right. I don't know. But but certainly now uh, I see more more women than men in classes. I would say there's probably two thirds women, just a third men now. Yeah. Um, but but um, it, it's interesting. I don't know if uh, if it makes a difference being a woman. Um, maybe uh, people prefer a, a female energy um, I think on a practical level um, you know learning from a woman who has been through a lot and who has yeah. done a lot and who can still laugh at life might be slightly inspiring totally, 100%. <laughs> um, I, I think certainly I'm resilient and ordinary and I think my students like the fact I'm resilient and ordinary and they can laugh in class and we do have a laugh we work hard and play hard and I know the guys like that as well um, yeah. I certainly don't have any airs and graces and I don't suffer fools. So anyone who tries to be above themselves, probably I'm not the right teacher for them. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that, you know, there, there are certain things like, for example, we mentioned arm balances, you know, learning um, arm balances from a woman who has learned um, for herself how to execute, execute a very complicated posture and then they can share that to another woman is going to be enriching rather than from a guy with his big broad shoulders and his tiny little hips says just do it like this and then you say yeah, <laughs> yeah but I can't exactly. <laughs> so I, I think I think there might be um, an element of that 
Um, but I think ultimately, you know, teaching is a skill. It's a vocation, isn't it? And um, mm -hmm. I think you have to be able to connect with your students and they with you um, and, and be normal um, and keep uh, the practice light and joyful whilst communicating and teaching effectively and making your students feel comfortable. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a believer of working hard and playing hard in a very balanced way, of course. And mm -hmm. I think for me, I, I attract practitioners who, who, for whom that resonates, um, whether they're men or women. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I love that, that, that we sort of, we emit a certain vibration or a certain yeah. energy and like draw people into our field or the people who are like vibrating or resonating at that same energy, you know? Hmm. enter into the sphere I think it's I, I love that image but ultimately it, it's all about the practice isn't it you know it's yeah. the practice that works the practice that is going to go on after we've you know become worm food um yeah so, <laughs> so it's it's not about the personalities it's really about exactly. the practice and I feel it you know as a, a certified female teacher it's a, an enormous honor and, and responsibility to pass on this method you know, mm. um, with correct Tristana and precise Sanskrit vinyasa counts and sequencing and good physical alignment and technique and to encourage practitioners to understand and honor the and experience how the method works. Um, so, you know, we're here for a very short amount of time. And, and as certified female teachers, I think we've got a job to do. And yeah. uh, we, we have to do it the best we can, don't we? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think, you know, one thing I try to impart with, with my students, whether they're men or women, is that mm -hmm. the, the skills that we all acquire on the mat can be applied to life. Um, mm -hmm. You have to become strong and elegant and graceful and kind and humble and resilient and peaceful and happy on the mat. And, yeah. and, and then, you know, that's just a life skill, isn't it? It's, all a, it's just a tool for making life a bit easier, ultimately, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 100%. That's, that's so good too. I am, I'm continually and always, I mean, that's my favorite part of the yoga practice itself is seeing how your life shows up in your practice, but then also how your practice transforms your life. And it's, it's like magic, you know, there's nothing you can and, <laughs> say and why. Suddenly, your, suddenly your life has changed and it's like, God, I didn't even realize that happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the practice is always sort of a steady thing that, you know, even if it's not like doing your full practice, or even if it's just like sitting on your mat or doing Surya Namaskar, or connecting to your breath or, you know, whatever it is that you can do, I always feel like it's, it's such good, um, such a good tool to have, mm. to have that discipline or that training of like, oh, I know how to calm my mind and connect to my breath. And even, you know, when terrible things happen in your life to, to have those tools to be like, okay, like you say, that resiliency, that ability to bounce back. And I think the practice really helps to develop that awareness. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I don't think I would be able to maneuver through life if I didn't have my ashtanga yoga practice and i'm mm -hmm. serious about that i'm so serious about that um you know it's an incredible discipline um which makes you feel very ordinary and connected and happy and present and if i 
if I go a day without practicing, <laughs> mm. I feel the difference, you know, it's, it's mm. extraordinary. So, you know, I, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, yeah, it, it's a life tool and, um, mm. and I'm so grateful that to have it in my life. Mm. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you lived in India for 20 years. Was it 20 years? Basically, I, yeah, well, on I, and off, but like a lot of it full time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I started going there for long periods of time since the late 90s and right. kind of moved there full time about 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and now since COVID, you've been back in the UK. Yes. Which is so different. <laughs> it is. Yeah. What, what do you miss most about oh, like your miss? life in India? Oh my God. <laughs> How long have you got? All right. Oh. <laughs> I miss the nature, the views, uh, the light, yeah. the colors, yeah. the sunset, the yeah. intoxicating aroma of coffee flowers and jasmine, <laughs> the incense, the food, yeah. Um, yeah. the fresh produce, <laughs> wildlife, uh, cultural things such as classical music, dance, yeah. architecture, obviously not modern architecture, the old stuff um yoga of course um miles <laughs> I miss road trips seeing the country I miss the palaces the forts the ancient temples um you know all the history over there mm-hmm. South Indian breakfasts mm, me too <laughs> <laughs> and there are so many more things I miss but yeah oh. I think of India every day every oh. day you know yeah. there's a bit of it in my heart yeah, Always. One, yeah, 100%. It's just like a, that was just like an advertisement, travel to India. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what do you think? Do you think, you know, students sometimes say, should I go? Should I go to Mysore? What do you, what do you tell your students when they ask you these questions? I say, absolutely, uh, of course, of course you should experience it. I mean, uh, you know, I, I and you, you know, so lucky to have spent studying um, at the Shala in Mysore for over 20 years every year. And that's a great privilege and honour. And I feel incredibly honoured to have learned from Pataba Joyce as mm-hmm. well as Sharat. Um, I know things are different now and there are way more students now. And the Shala is open for a much shorter amount of time each year. So it's trickier to, to get there. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think you have to go to the source it's 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 really important to to experience it it's wonderful you know expect to to learn things that you weren't expecting to learn about but that's part (laughs) of the ride you know it's all good (laughs) yeah yeah sort of I always feel like if you're really into Ashtanga yoga if it's like your absolute you know passion in life that it's it's like making a pilgrimage to to the place where it originated you know from yeah 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 um you know and and I think you start to understand that the practice is experiential. It's a mm-hmm. psychophysical practice that helps you become a, a better person physically, mentally, socially, emotionally. And, and there you really get the chance to, to feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. go. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and make, make some uh, side trips while you're there too. <laughs> oh, oh God, of course. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to see 
yeah. and learn and do, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now when I dream of going back to India, it's like, I want to go visit Bogaya and I want to go back oh, up gosh, to the Himalayas yeah. and I have all these other, other places that I really want to go. And totally. And I think, to. <laughs> absolutely. And I think, you know, I'm hoping to go back to India next year. And, and that's one of the things I want to do. I, I just want to go to the places that I haven't been to. Like I haven't been to Northeast India. Yeah. Um, I, I'm dying to check out some new stuff to have some new experiences, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's such a, such a beautiful, beautiful, I don't know, mystical country. And yet it's so also like very ordinary, right? It's, it's got that, that paradox happening all the time and you see it and you feel it and you're like, whoa, this is I crazy. think that paradox <laughs> is that there are two Indias in one India. Yeah. 100%. I, I, yeah. I, I, th- I think there's, there's old traditional India and mm. there's modern India in the mm-hmm. same country and it's all mixed up. And that's the, that, that, that's, that's the paradox. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's also kind of the beauty of it too, right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yes. It's an extraordinary country. Yeah. Uh, it's an amazing country. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are not going to be able to find you in India right now, but if students wanted to come practice with you or reach out to you, where can they find you? Oh, I'm teaching all over the world. I teach internationally. I'm doing retreats and workshops. Um, yeah all over um i do my own thing in london in leicester square um mm-hmm. i teach online i teach um Sanskrit county primary intermediate and advanced a series classes on saturday mornings i teach privates online but if people want to find out how to study with me go to my website ashvandaphilippa.com <laughs> it's all there. it's all it's all there all yes <laughs> But Wonderful. I just want to say, you know, the Ashtanga yoga practice is the only thing in my life that makes any sense. Mm. Um. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And without it, I would not be able to, you know, have, I wouldn't have the skills that, you know, yoga gives you, um, yeah. you know, gives you sharp life skills, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it gives you kind of like a safe harbor too, I think in times of struggle, you know, you mm. can just kind of go to it and, and it can give you that like safe, safe place or that soft space for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and one thing I do want to say is that you don't have to do very much for it to work. You have yeah. to practice all eight limbs. I really believe that you can't just do asana. You have to, you know, um, do the yamas and the niyamas you know the personal behavioral codes the ethical codes mm. as well as the asana practice the pranayama practice mm. um pratyahara dharana dhyana and samadhi you have to do all eight it doesn't work if you just do asana and i think that's important and i think students have to understand that and mm. i think those you know we, we we sometimes see people falling off the wagon and and i think usually it's because you know maybe one or two of the limbs is missing from the practice So, you know, you have, it has to be a life choice. It has to be a state of being and a state of mind, the way you live your life. Um, But in terms of the asana practice, you don't have to do that much. You just have to do the standing postures, back bends and finishing for it to work, but you have to be consistent. 
Yeah. That's beautiful. That's great. And great advice. And hey. yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's, that's like my, my favorite go-to practice actually. But, 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 but it's amazing because your expect your expectations are so low, but you get the desired effect. You, you, you finish and you feel the prana, you feel the joy, you feel amazing and you're set up for the day. Uh, and I think that's really, really interesting because so many new students think it's about collecting arsenas. But, you know, once you've been practicing for 20, 30 years, you realize it's really not about that. Yeah, <laughs> you're kind of happy, a, happy to give those as asanas back. as possible to get the desired <laughs> effect. <laughs> yeah, it's so true, right? You're like, oh, I don't need this one anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, which is brilliant, you know, but, but with, yeah. you know, age comes wisdom, doesn't it? And I think yeah. you do have to kind of go through the journey of, you know, practicing for heaps and heaps and heaps of years before you get to that point and you realize that less is more. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, I always feel like we are talking about your student, your 65 year old student. I feel She's like 77 now. Yes. 77. <laughs> right. But like when you come to the practice later in life, you really approach it with a different intention and a different energy. And, and it's, it's like a softer, kinder practice to yourself and to your body. I feel then sometimes like the younger students, like you're saying, it becomes about collecting asanas and transformation and like all of these big lofty kind of visionary goals, which is exciting yeah. and incredible and wonderful. And like, you know, you need to go on that journey. But like yes. later in life, you're kind of using it as a means to heal and restore yourself, which is very different totally. energy to the practice. And that's when it becomes a tool for making life a bit easier. Yeah. When you realize this is the thing that I need to do to restore homeostasis. This is the thing that I need to do to, to find balance. If you're agitated for whatever reason, in order to, to, you know, to calm the waves of the mind, you need to do your asana practice and, and it works. It so mm -hmm. works. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah it's such a good thing to keep in mind for people because I know it can especially if you were on the journey in your young years and maybe you've had a break maybe you've had a baby or you've gone through different you know different life things you know tragedies whatever life circumstances injuries things you know to get back into the practice can be really difficult and so I mean what what would you say to people how would you Okay, so to do that. Well, I, I've been I've been through that because you know I went through eight um, eight rounds of IVF when I was in India. Um, yeah, yeah, and um, that I mean that's really hard on your body and oh, really difficult so to practice, tough. right? And then got pregnant naturally and miscarried twins at oh uh, you know at the, yeah. at the end of my first trimester. So so that was incredibly hard, not only physically but emotionally yeah. yeah but you know every cloud I learned a lot from that experience because you know being someone who was used to practicing all four series mm -hmm. which I was then um mm -hmm. before I got pregnant and then having to give it all up because I tried a whole different uh ways of of making the practice work for me first of all I did four series then I did three then I did two then I did one then I did nothing which right. was the worst thing for me because <laughs> yeah. you know I've been dancing since I was three so for my body to stop was yeah. that you know it's the worst thing ever that was terrible and then um, Hamish's wife Anna said to me why don't you just practice as, as if you're pregnant just imagine you've got a big pillow in your right. in your t-shirt 
uh, yeah. and practice like that. And, and that's when I got pregnant, when I was doing that. So hats off wow. to Anna. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so basically what that did was, was made me do a practice that was appropriate for me. Um, so then obviously, you know, when you're pregnant, you don't practice and stuff. Um, but the idea of, you know, not having done my fourth series, third series, intermediate and, and primary series normally for so many times, for, for so many months, mm-hmm. um, I thought stupidly that I would lose it all. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. an idiot. You know, the muscle <laughs> memory is so profound. Yeah. It's so profound. Once the postures are in you, they're yeah. in you. They don't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it might take a while to re-remember how to do them, but that's actually yeah. quite fun, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I so my experience was, you know, eight rounds of IVF, getting pregnant, two mi- miscarrying miscarrying twins, horrendous. Mm-hmm. So I can, you know, I probably spent a year with not mm-hmm. doing my proper practice. Um, and I came back to it slowly from you know, from Samus to Tihi. I started off with Surya Namaskara A and I brought it back posture by posture, just like a beginner. And you know what, Harmony? It was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. And you you just relearn how to do the postures, but you learn how to do them perfectly. You pay so much attention to the exact Sanskrit counts uh, and to learning it, relearning the postures, you know, without misalignment and not adding in stuff that's not there and you know it, it didn't even take that long to get back to the end of fourth again it yeah just wow. took a few months um so I always say to my students just don't worry about it just bring it back slowly posture by yeah. posture what I do say is do not add on a posture unless you've mastered the one before so it's exactly the same as how you learn the practice it's no different you right. know you keep adding on postures one at a time until they're perfect then you add on the next one um yeah just mm-hmm. how you learn it and it's yeah. it's amazing yeah yeah and it's I mean I think it's just like trying to it's a bit of a mindset thing right like trying to not compare yourself to where you were mm. but like just be really present with where you are now and just Absolutely. like you say just go gradually like you can't force yourself or push yourself or get there any faster or get back to anywhere right it's just mm-hmm. like we're going forward and and Absolutely. just like have that beginner's mind like you're saying just learning who this body is now or where your mind is now and just doing like little by little every day Absolutely. a yeah. little bit more that's it so, so we we're, we're working within a framework um <laughs> which is appropriate to us at a particular stage in our life. So mm-hmm. the asanas may look slightly different every day. You know, you know, you know, we need to, you watch two or three practitioners doing the same posture. It's not going to look the same on, on each practitioner, is it? And it's the right. same in our practice at different life stages. And uh, that's okay. It's really mm-hmm. okay. As you know, as long as we've got perfect synchronization of breath, drishti, and movement, the Sanskrit vinyasa counts are there, the great alignment is there. That's all that matters. A bit of joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or a Peace. lot of joy. Yeah, a lot of joy, a whole lot of love. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I've, I've always found um, that from you. I've always appreciated <laughs> those qualities that you're, you have an infectious laugh. Oh, you always bring so you. much light and energy to the room and the conversation and you're just yourself. And I've always really appreciated that from you. It, it always, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, uh, for me, that, that, that's how, that is the practice. It's about being your best self, being your true self and not pretending to be something that you're not. <laughs> yeah. yeah 100 percent. i love it it's so yeah. true well i just want to thank you so much for coming on as our guest today it was such a pleasure to connect with you again reconnect with you and and have all of your wisdom dispersed hopefully oh, to thousands of listeners you. everywhere around the oh, world it's been it's been so lovely chatting to you harmony and i hope i get to see you again soon it's been uh, it's been too long I know. I hope so too. Since we had South Indian breakfast together in Gokulam. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, if I'm ever in your neck of the woods, I'm going to look you up. You know what? There's an amazing South Indian restaurant in Leicester Square. So if you're ever in London, I will take you there. And we All can right. Have closer. Yeah. That would be that'd be wonderful for sure. Excellent. Maybe I'll even make it out of bed to come to your class in time. Oh, well, well the, the good news with me is that I teach from silly o'clock until midday. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. perfect. <laughs> silly o'clock. I love it. Yeah. So something for everyone, you know. Yeah. 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 My mid morning time will be perfect then. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. We'll chat oh, with you soon. Lovely. Thank you, Harmony, and, and see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking waves, there's a heart.